Welcome to Cross Section, conversations at the intersection of faith, news and culture. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Cross Section, the podcast where we discuss what is going on in the news and politics in light of our faith in Jesus. We're excited to be back recording after a week off for half term and we hope you didn't miss us too much last week. Now, you may be wondering who is speaking right now. Um, You probably don't recognise my voice. My name is Zanna and I joined the advocacy team a few months ago. And while I have been working on the podcast behind the scenes, editing it and helping plan it, I have finally made the cut, no pun intended, to join the team recording. And today I'm joined by Alicia and Danny. Thank you both for having me in the podcast gang. You're very much welcome. Welcome on board the ship. (laughs) Yes, I can't wait to be part of it. I already mentioned that we were away for half term last week. Danny, where were you? I was in Albania. I was by the coast and I promise I was working hard. I was at a conference that overlooked the Mediterranean Sea. It was a bit chilly, but it was gorgeous and sunny and a nice change to rainy London. It did look very nice. He sent a picture to our team's chat and our view at the time was a grey street in King's Cross, (laughs) though. Yeah, not just at all. (laughs) Just a fun little news topic as well as we start before we get into our main stories. Danny, would you like to tell us about what's happened to Lyle's Golden Syrup? Yes, so Lyle's Golden Syrup, you may well know, has still a logo. It's from the the biblical story of Samson um, and Lyle are under attack or under criticism for rebranding and changing their logo. And they say that... um, The brand has been revitalised for the modern UK family in a move to refresh the brand's legacy to appeal to a 21st century audience. And the Telegraph have reported that it has angered some Christians who say that they feel there is perhaps no longer a place for Christians in the UK. Now, I'd probably not go that far. I don't think Tate and Lyle changing the branding for their golden syrup means there's no place for Christians. But it is interesting that companies feel that they need to move away from such classic and obvious biblical imagery to appeal to a wider audience. Yeah, it is interesting. And actually, it's quite funny timing because I didn't know the context of this Golden Syrup brand, but we were actually talking about it in the office just last week for Pancake Day. So it's funny that now this is hit the news very quickly after that. So I will move us swiftly into our first story of the week. We are kicking off with a discussion of the two recent by-elections that saw Labour winning two seats with landslide victories last week. Labour overturned a majority of 11,200 in Kingswood and a huge 18,540 in Wellingborough, where it was the second biggest swing from the Tories to Labour in any post-war by-election. The Conservatives have now lost 10 by-elections in one parliamentary term. This is all pretty significant. Alicia, I'll come to you first. Where does this leave the Tories at this point in the year? How will they be feeling? So using the illustration of mock exams, I know many of my friends' children are going through that at the moment. It leaves much to be desired. If this, if by-elections are the test run for what will be the general election, then the outcome of this will be important both to the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, in knowing that he needs to do more to convince Conservative heartlands to come out and vote. And for those that are leading on the kind of the political strategy within Conservative HQ, they need to work out how do they appeal to 
that constituency, getting out the vote amongst Conservative voters, but also having to address and tackle the rise and prominence of reformed UK. So they need to balance that well. Do they move more to the right on policy issues in order to win back those votes that reformed won, or do they need to hold the, the centre ground uh, as it were? And these two constituencies, Wellingborough and Kingswood, were staunchly in support of the Brexit vote. So for, for me, what I was looking on in terms of the outcome of this is, has the Brexit agenda that was dominant in 2019 somewhat fallen on deaf ears now that we're in 2024 and somewhat of the public are disillusioned with how the Conservative Party have implemented Brexit and more importantly, how they've led government. So there seems to be a level of disillusionment that's going on at the moment within the public. And I think the disillusionment is really important because certainly in um, one of the seats that was a by-election, the vote that reform took, if all those votes had gone to the Conservatives in Kingswood near Bristol, the Conservatives would have held on to that seat. Mm. So while Labour are definitely picking up votes, there are people who would want to vote for a right-wing party and don't want to vote for the Conservatives. And reform are definitely picking up a sizable number of those votes. They got 10% in um, Kingswood and 13% in Wellingborough. And those are the sorts of numbers that aren't going to deliver seats for reform to win at the election, but they are going to stop the Conservatives from winning a lot of seats if that's mm. replicated in a general election. Mm. Yeah, it's a complicated time. I would not want to be in Rishi Sunak's shoes right now. Danny, where does this leave Labour at the moment? Can they relax a little bit? Is this an insight into what might happen in the general election? Yeah, how are they doing right now? Well, I think Labour will be very happy to have won those two by-elections. These are seats that they would not have expected to win in the normal course of events. It's possible they won't hold on to them at a general election, but with the size of swings and the victories that they attained, they may well hold on to these seats. And if they win seats like this at a general election, they will be on course for a significant majority. So you'd think it's all plain sailing, but the, the real headache for the Labour Party comes with another by-election that's due next Thursday on 29th of February, if I've got my dates correct, where Rochdale vote. And if you follow the news, you'll, you may know that the Labour Party candidate in Rochdale has been effectively disowned by the party. He's been officially selected. He will appear on the ballot paper as the Labour Party candidate. But due to comments that he made around the Israeli-Gaza war, he has been disowned. Very controversial comments that he made. And the Labour Party took a couple of days deciding what to do about it. And they've received quite a lot of criticism for being seen as being slow to respond to this. And probably because they knew that this guy was their candidate and they weren't quite sure what they'd have to do about it. You've had senior figures in the Labour Party suggesting that Labour voters we want to spoil their ballot at the election. You have George Galloway, who once upon a time was in the Labour Party, running either as an independent or as a minor party candidate. There's fear that the Labour vote collapsing could see George Galloway getting in. I don't think there's any suggestions that the Conservatives are going to win this seat, but it is clearly a messy situation for Labour. And that links into challenges the Labour Party have had about their position on Israel and Gaza. Um, there's been there's a debate, literally as we are recording, a debate is due to start in Parliament over a motion around whether or not there should be, we should call for a ceasefire. And Labour have struggled to articulate exactly what their position is around that. So Labour should be happy with the political situation, but actually it's not straightforward for them and they've got some problems of their own. 
Yeah, thank you. It really, it's, it's going to be an interesting two weeks for both parties and we will see what happens in the coming months and in the lead up to this election. I will move us on to our next topic um, of conversation, which is going to be a bit of a dive into what is going on with the government and ending conversion practices. Um, now, this is a big, a complex topic. And yeah, many of you may well be feeling like you just don't really know how to think about it, know what to think, know what's going on. And the government have sort of yo-yoed a bit over the last few years saying they will do something and then not doing it um, because they kind of don't know what to do. So we thought we would have a conversation now because there are a few things going on at the moment in relation to conversion therapy. Alicia, could you start us off by giving us a bit of context? What do we mean by conversion therapy and why are we engaging with this issue? Yeah, thanks, Anna. It's definitely been a long-term policy. Uh, it started pre-pandemic when the government launched its LGBT action plan in 2018, setting out to understand the state and the impact of being someone who's same-sex attracted or has a transgender identity within the UK. And out of there was testimonies and accounts of how particularly those within the kind of transgender community had experienced a form of inverted commas conversion therapy and so moving into what was the 2019 election cycle the conservative party at the time made a manifesto pledge that they would introduce legislation to ban and to end conversion therapy so then fast forward into december 2021 we have what was then the uh, consultation for which the evangelical alliance submitted a response and encouraged members to engage upon that and the government at that time was exploring two policy proposals one around banning physical acts of conversion therapy and another exploring talking conversion therapies that would impact under 18s as well as those who are adults and the definition they were exploring at the time is around seeking to change a person's sexual orientation or gender identity. We are still awaiting the government's response to that consultation, but there have been under the successive prime ministers from Boris Johnson to Liz Truss to even currently now Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, a commitment to introduce legislation that would ban conversion therapy. But I believe the reason there's been a delay in implementing legislation is because they're hearing and learning from different organisations, from individuals about how it would impact upon the welfare and safety of children, particularly around gender transitioning and the issue of Tavistock Clinic. And then more importantly, where it's relevant for us as an organisation and for the members we represent, the right to practice and manifest religious beliefs. And so we've been engaged from the very beginning, setting out two objectives. The first is to represent the evangelical views, opinions and deeply held convictions around sex, sexuality and expression. And often you see in media and within Parliament a caricature of believers that's unhelpful to the debate. And we're wanting to defend the right to practice prayer, to practice discipleship and ultimately practice biblical teaching on these key areas. And the last one is in support of a law that is seeking to strengthen where there are current gaps 
for those that have experienced exploitative behaviours that we've always said from the beginning that we do not support coercive practice or coercive behaviour that has sought to change someone's sexual orientation or gender identity, but also advocated that where individuals choose to have conversations, particularly around faith, of how they live that out, that that shouldn't come under the definition of conversion practices. So it's been a long game and it's been a complicated space. And that's what the government has done. That's kind of segued into what we're now seeing many private members bills and amendments in different pieces of legislation. Yeah, thank you. So it is complicated. There have been many elements to it. Thank you so much for that um, brief kind of insight into what it is and what's going on and why we're engaging with it. Danny, what is happening at the moment? What's been going on in the last few weeks and why are we talking about this right now? Well, the, the landscape's got really messy in the last few weeks and it's different in different parts of the UK. So let's start with arguably the simplest. In Scotland, Scotland is currently consulting on some proposals to introduce a bill to end conversion practices. Another point of confusion is that sometimes it's referred to as conversion practices, sometimes it's conversion therapy, and none of it has anything to do with conversion as Christians would normally understand it. Mm -hmm. So the Conversion Practices Consultation in Scotland is live and it's open and you can find resources on the Evangelical Alliance website if you're in Scotland to help you respond to that. We set out some of the reasons in particular why we're concerned about those proposals and the damage it could have on both individuals and religious freedom more generally. Generally. And then in Westminster, there are four different things happening. Uh, well, three and a half, perhaps. Uh, the government have repeatedly said that they will introduce draft legislation uh, to end conversion therapy. Uh, there was a consultation in early 2021, as Alicia said, um, and they've repeatedly not actually introduced it, probably because of all of the complexities and challenges about getting it right. So we have this pledge that is repeated every now and then that they will introduce draft legislation. We have an election coming later this year. Uh, there may not be time for government legislation to get through, but we may also see some official proposals from the government about how they think they would do this. And then separate to that, we have a private member's bill in the House of Lords and another one in the House of Commons that are talking about prohibiting conversion therapy. The House of Lords legislation is very, very simple. Um, by simple, that doesn't make it a good thing. It means it's very broad. It doesn't really go into detail about what it's trying to cover or how it might work in practice. And when it was debated in the House of Lords recently, there was significant pushback from members of the House of Lords on those particular questions that it's vague. It's hard to know what the impact of it will be. In fact, um, analysing the proposals in Scotland, uh, one lawyer described it as jellyfish legislation, that it just tries to get everywhere, trying to define what it is, is a real problem. Then in the House of Commons, we have a private members bill that is due for debate on the 1st of March, so coming up very soon. And then the final thing is an amendment has been proposed to the Criminal Justice Bill, which is currently going through Parliament, will probably be debated again in the next few weeks. Um, and that amendment is also suggesting that the government ban conversion therapy. That amendment isn't, it might not be voted on, it might not be tabled, but it, if it is voted on and debated, that would go into legislation that the government are piloting through Parliament. So in some ways, that poses a significant risk. Um, so it's all a bit confusing. Different people seem to be trying to do different things. And 
you may hear various people talking about these different attempts over the next few weeks. Um, but I think one of the points of importance is just ensuring that we're able to speak into these issues uh, with clarity, with confidence that these are sensitive and challenging topics, but we want to also be clear about the, the negative impact it could have on individuals' lives um, and also the, the freedom of Christians and churches to practice and to live out their beliefs. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, how can our listeners engage in this and what can they be doing? Well, if you're in Scotland, uh, please do respond to the consultation. Um, uh, the consultation closes, I think, at the uh, beginning of April. Um, so you've got a bit of time, but please do take some time to respond to that. Um, please pray, pray that politicians will speak up against these proposals in Parliament, that they will be confident and able to highlight where these proposals would not necessarily. And one of the other points is that most things that we would describe as abusive and harmful are already covered by the law. Mm. Um, and the law needs to be applied for that. The risk is, is that this does affect things that shouldn't be criminalised. Um, so we pray and we hope and we work to ensure that MPs are able to speak up on those matters. Thank you. Alicia, do you have any final thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely to continue to keep praying and to engage and, and just to encourage our members uh, and those listening that this is a topic that whatever the outcome of these private members' bills and the amendment, it's an issue that will play out in the next election and, more importantly, the next parliamentary session. It's one where we've already heard commitments both from Keir Starmer uh, as well as his Secretary of State for Women and Equalities that have spoken about a promise to end all forms of conversion therapy. And so there's going to be continued engagement in this space. So one to keep praying, one to keep believing for an outcome and an opportunity to demonstrate that the gospel and the good news that it brings to people does transform lives and is not harmful at its core. So, yeah. Thank you. You are listening to Cross Section. We love having these conversations and discussing the big topics from our news feeds. You should see us at our desks. Often this is what we're chatting about, the things that are going on. But we would also love to hear from you. What's grabbed your attention in the news recently? What are your thoughts on the conversations that we've been having? Do get in touch with us. You can email us at cross.section at eauk.org or please do engage with us on all the main social media platforms. The details are in the description, but if you type in Evangelical Alliance, I feel like that will get you where you need to go. <laughs> also, please do check out our website, as Danny mentioned briefly, eauk.org. Um, I'm pretty sure <laughs> to find out more about what we're up to as the advocacy team and also the other teams at the EA. There's a lot going on um, and we would love you to engage with that. If you've enjoyed this week's episode, please do share it with others um, who will enjoy it and find it interesting and leave us a review. We are grateful um, for all your support throughout. Now, on to our final conversation this week. Yeah, it's a big one. Last Friday, Alexei Navalny, a prominent Russian opposition figure and anti-corruption activist, died in an Arctic Circle prison. The cause of his death has not been confirmed, but there is considerable suspicion that he has been murdered. In 2020, Navalny was poisoned with a Novichok nerve agent. He recovered in Germany, but upon his arrival off a plane back into Russia at the start of 2021, he was immediately arrested and imprisoned. I actually watched the BBC documentary um, about him and about uh, the investigation into his poisoning 
um, three years ago, four years ago even, <laughs> um, and watching it and watching this moment in particular as he got off the plane is it's very shocking. It was a lot to watch and I was very struck um, by his immense courage in choosing to return to Russia, fully knowing what could happen to him and it was instant. We have been particularly interested in Navalny's comments about being a Christian, and this is one of the reasons we want to talk about this story today. In 2021, at his trial, he said, The fact is that I am a Christian. I was once quite a militant atheist myself, but now I am a believer, and that helps me a lot in my activities. There are fewer dilemmas in my life because there is a book in which, in general, it is more or less clearly written what action to take in every situation. It's not always easy to follow this book, of course, but I am actually trying. And so, as I said, it's easier for me probably than for many others to engage in politics. Yeah, so this is all very interesting and I'm sure there are big shockwaves in Russia right now. Danny, I will come to you first. What What's your reaction to this? Well, what's fascinating is, is that Russia is, to put it in simple terms, seen as the baddie on the global stage at the moment and therefore Politicians feel much freer to criticise what they're doing and much freer to be honest and open about the fact that he probably was killed by various actors within uh, the Russian system. Um, reports have been released about how he was uh, pushed out into minus, I think, 27 temperature for two and a half hours and then punched in the heart, which apparently I found out this morning is a classic ex-KGB uh, technique of killing someone. So there's a, a level of kind of the international intrigue uh, around the role of Russia and their authoritarian government. So that's one thing. But as you say, his Christian faith and how he has spoken about it is interesting as well. Um, Krish Kandaya uh, wrote a piece this week and he commented on this. And he said, he refers to Navalny, he saw Jesus's instruction not just as a promise to be fulfilled in the future, but as a very present call to action. It motivated him not only to speak up for justice, but to speak out against injustice. It gave him the courage to put his own life at risk for the sake of others. I think that is a, a, an incredible quote, and I hadn't been aware of Navalny's kind of faith that underpin some of his role and, uh, and sense in politics. And I think that's, for me personally, where I gravitate to this story, the importance of faith conviction leading to how we act and, and operate in the, in the public square. I think his life is an example of how costly it is to follow Jesus's teaching in a different climate. I, and I guess for all of us, we might not be called to being a very kind of political activist, as it were, standing in opposition to significant and powerful leaders, but we are called to be witnesses for Jesus in our modern day and to live lives that demonstrate the power of the cross. So I guess that's my encouragement. A passage of scripture that did come to mind with Zachariah and that phrase of being prisoners of hope. How can we as Christians in our modern culture be people that believe for God's kingdom, the new Eden, to uh, permeate every sphere of life, public life, health, every different sector of society, because ultimately it's Christ's justice that we should be longing for uh, whilst we're here on earth. So yeah. And just one other thing that struck me is that it's 
all of the international dimensions to this. There were some comments last week about who would be more happy to get Vladimir Putin's support in the US. The fact that whether Putin thinks it's better for Biden to win or for Trump to win and does apparently by Putin saying he wanted Biden to win actually help Trump because you wouldn't want to be seen. Anyway, all of that complexity makes it interesting that Donald Trump this week uh, seemed to compare himself to Alexei Navalny. And he, as he said, that the case of the Russian opposition leader reminded him of grossly unfair courtroom decisions he had this week being fined hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, but it just shows you how the, the politicization of an international affairs in a year where we have elections in over half of the world's population, I believe, will vote in elections this year. Um, how we understand the news, how we read the news, how we listen to what's happening and how we're aware of how people will use events to try and promote their own cause or their own perspective. I think there's elections in Russia coming up as well. So all of these things, it, they get complicated and we need to be able to read and watch these things with real wisdom and insight and know that sometimes people will be using events for their own political purposes. Danny, thank you. And actually, that's um, really helpful, that kind of tying some of these stories together. It has been quite a heavy episode this week discussing big topics. Thank you both for sharing your reflections and helping us think all these topics through. It can be easy to look at the stories in the news and just feel despair at the huge levels of struggle for so many across the globe. But we also believe in a good God who we can speak to and cares deeply for us. So I just encourage you to bring all your worries um, to him. Um, thank you both for this week's episode. Um, we hope you've all enjoyed listening to it. Thank you for listening and have a great and blessed week. Goodbye. Hi, it's Peter here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Cross Section. If you liked it, can I encourage you to click subscribe, review the podcast, share the episode on social media or tell your friends so that they can enjoy it too. And don't forget, you can email us at cross.section at eauk.org. See you next time.